Welcome to the third edition of our APAC M&A Insights broadcast. I'm Victor Ho, a corporate M&A partner in our Greater China offices and a co-lead in the APAC technology practice. I'm joined today by two of my technology colleagues, uh, Tom Jockelson, uh, who resides in Singapore and advises on technology M&A and growth capital transactions, and Saren Kelly, a um, a senior lawyer in our Sydney office who specializes in technology transactions. Coming off the back of a record year for M&A transactions globally in 2021, today we are going to look at the booming part of that market being technology M&A and transactional activity in Asia, particularly in the fintech and digital asset space, including some of the drivers for this growth, some of the key matters which investors embarking on these transactions should consider. If you haven't done so already, make sure to visit the ANO website for the latest edition of our M&A Insight publication in which we discuss topical global M&A trends. Okay, first question. And Tom, I want to start with you. I'm going to ask you to talk about ASEAN. Now, uh, it's been in the news quite a bit about how the U.S.-China dynamic has impacted technology and technology transactions in the greater China area. China's been doing a lot on the regulatory side and continuing to drive its own broader technology agenda. But I want to uh, turn to Southeast Asia and to get your thoughts on what we're seeing in the technology boom in Asia. Thanks, Victor. So I think that you know, we can't move away from the from the macro piece of this puzzle, which is that there are enormous amounts of capital out there that needs to be deployed. Private equity VC is sitting on record amounts of funds, and they are looking for new frontiers and new opportunities to invest that. During the last 12 months alone, we've seen you know, record fundraisings take place on the fund side. So, you know, Tiger have famously closed a $7 billion VC fund in April last year. And that was coming off the back of a, of a fund only 12 months earlier. So there was a huge amounts of money to deploy. That coupled with the pandemic effect, um, particularly in Southeast Asia, it is driving a lot of activity. You know, depending on where you look in the ASEAN region, you know, we're all at different stages of recovery of that from the pandemic. Certainly in, in Singapore here, we're kind of still crawling out of the, the other end, but there's still now large amounts of corporate and commercial activity taking place. And as a result of that pandemic effect, no matter where you look, the consumer kind of user-facing tech world has been you know, dramatically altered. And as a result, that's driving huge amounts of, of activity in this space. You know, the emerging markets of, of Southeast Asia are still fast maturing. Indonesia and Vietnam, for example, are, are still huge potential opportunities in terms of long-term growth, but there are you know, tech success stories over the last 12, 24 months that are giving investors a huge amount of you know, encouragement to invest in, in Southeast Asia. The Grab story is a prime example. So we've seen rounds of fundraising into, into Grab and ultimately culminating in the SPAC transaction late last year. Interestingly, Grab is a good example of the new wave of M&A buyers in this in the in the region, they themselves have been kind of a large acquirer of businesses in recent in the recent years, and have gone on to drive their own M&A transactions throughout the region. Now, Tom and Saren, you both mentioned fintech and transactions in the fintech space. It's a particular sector which is booming and attracting a lot of M&A activity. What kind of activity are we seeing in the fintech and digital asset space, and why? Victor, I think it's important that you make a distinction there between fintech and, and digital assets. They're often lumped together when in lots of 
press and, and articles on this, but I think they're moving in quite distinct ways at the moment, certainly on, on the kind of fintech side. And when, when we talk about fintech, I think we think about it as slightly more traditional financing and banking landscape, but has now been brought forward into the digital world. So I think kind of digital banking accounts, online wealth management, those types of areas, you know, there's a huge amount of activity there in this part of the world, primarily because there's a huge amount of insufficient financial inclusion that's, that's still there in Southeast Asian economies. There's various data points. So only 40% of adults in Indonesia have a bank account. It's even less than that in the Philippines and Malaysia. So there's huge opportunities there to access the unbanked. And as a result of that, we're seeing you know, enormous amounts of activity, both on the startup world. So people trying to tap into this space and, and grow their own companies. But additionally, you know, driving the next wave of M&A. So we're seeing lots of activity in the Indonesian banking sector, for example, of foreign buyers buying stakes in Indonesian banks with a view to turning them into these new wave of neo banks or digital banks. So there's a huge amount of activity in that space already. And the next wave of kind of insure tech wealth management is ripe for disruption. And we're expecting to see a lot of activity in that space in the next kind of 12 or 24 months. Digital assets is a rapidly expanding part of the economy. Crypto is the asset that people think about most regularly and quickly, but there's a whole wave of new digital products, NFTs, stable coins, et cetera, that are becoming much more mainstream and will continue to drive a lot of activity in the next 24 months. Okay, Saren, as a technology transaction specialist, can you explain a little bit what that is and how that is driving technology transactions here in Asia? Absolutely. Technology transactions speaks to strategic commercial transactions involving IP, data, and tech. And what we're seeing is is the emergence, and and typically the conversation focuses on the M&A that we see in the region, but M&A only tells part of the story, really. What we see is, especially in the tech sector, uh, these transactions happen on a spectrum. On one end, you have M&A, mergers and acquisitions. uh, You have investments at an equity level. We're seeing increasing levels of activity around commercial collaborations or contractual collaborations where either two parties, typically a a tech company or an, an incumbent industry participant are exploring whether they can work together or integrate their systems or enter a new market. And they do that in, in, in under a commercial you know, arrangement, so typically you see collaboration agreements. And that can be either as in place of potential M&A in the future or as a precursor to, to test that relationship for you know, investing funds into that relationship. And so I think part of the interest in or the acceleration we're seeing in, in the M&A sector in, in the region is we're seeing a couple of things. And, and Tom spoke about the private equity funds investing capital, which is absolutely a key feature of the region. Another feature is the, the, the industry participants themselves. And there's a great pressure, particularly on incumbent industry players, to accelerate their digitalization or deploy new technology or fend off disruptive companies trading on their turf, deploying new technologies. And one of the classic ways to do this is you know, defensive M&A, investing in tech companies or buying tech companies to acquire the tech people or innovation uh, and beyond that you know access additional markets or all you know broaden their, their their product offering so i think that's one of the key drivers and you know this is increasingly com- common in fintech we, we see especially interactions between banks uh, you know the large incumbent industry players looking to accelerate their adoption of technology by investing in fintechs or, or collaborating closely with them 
And Saren, I think that's a good example. We've uh, we've recently been you know, seeing a lot of activity in the insurance space, where insurance companies, typical bricks and mortar insurance businesses, who are slightly more traditional, are investing in the new wave of players in this space, so digital wallets, to build up collaborations between them so that these new wave of financial products where people are going to access or hope to access, all of their financial services are being presented not just with a bank account, but also an ability to get an insurance product, an ability to get a loan under a buy now, pay later structure. These are all being pulled within this new wave of market entrance. And so that's a a really good example of where we're seeing that collaboration start to build out. I think that's really interesting. And insurance is a classic example where it's really being disrupted by new technologies, particularly AI and emerging data analytics technologies. And we see the incumbents are less able to innovate quickly and rapidly in these spaces. And so they lean heavily heavily on, on the fast moving tech forward companies that are more readily innovative or adoptive of AI to really enhance their offerings in this space and remain competitive. From each uh, part of your uh, specializations, uh, you, Tom, on the M&A side, and Sarah, and you on the tech transaction side. What are the type of specific issues which immediately pop to mind, which is worth highlighting uh, for the audience? Thanks, Vita. I'll, I'll start. So from the legal side, the FDI uh, licensing landscape is certainly one that needs to be at the top of parties list, particularly across Southeast Asia in particular, very little activity is just done on a single market basis. People are often trying to enter into new markets and do that by way of M&A. The FDA landscape is a huge important factor of that. And the general trend in Asia in recent years, certainly in Southeast Asia, has been a move away from the kind of restrictive approach and that with a view to opening up and liberating these economies. So generally, the market sentiment is positive in that sense, and the FDI is becoming hopefully less of a concern generally across Southeast Asia. There is a different approach being taken in some markets like the Philippines that can often be, often be linked with the political landscape with the Philippines expecting elections coming up. It's not uncommon for you know, an economy like the Philippines to take a more restrictive approach in the short term and a more protectionist standpoint to drive domestic positivity rather than negativity that can often be seen with lots of of foreign investment. So understanding the FDI landscape is certainly one that should be right at the top of anybody's investment list. So Saren, let me ask you the same question. In China, we oftentimes have to look at it from the point of view for our strategic clients, for them to consider forking their technology, their IP in light of the US-China trade war. But in the rest of Asia, considering the many jurisdictions that you have to deal with. Any thoughts on specific issues that need to get addressed? Thanks, Victor. When we're dealing with in the tech space in particular, I think it's well known that IP is fundamental to value typically. And, and when we talk about IP, we mean you know, the software, the digital platforms involved, the, the, the smarts, the algorithms, the AI. And so to, in the M&A context, so we're looking to invest, understanding where this IP came from, its provenance, any risks in the IP forming part of the asset is super critical. And, and the old adage, especially in the tech space, is move fast and break things. And, and that works well as you, if you're a startup tech company, you know, looking to establish themselves and, and build a platform and disrupt the industry. That same adage, plays out differently when you're looking to raise funds or, or seek investors. And understanding both where the IP comes from, who's, who's been working on it, 
We discussed collaborations earlier, and they have tremendous advantages in some circumstances. But one of the risks potentially with the collaboration it comes down to who owns what in the, uh, in the as an output of that collaboration, who contributed what, and who owns the outputs. And so issues like that become front of mind when we're looking around fundraising or, or seeking investors. And beyond the, uh, the pure legal IP aspects of it, understanding the quality of the code and understanding the quality of the development activity that's done to date is also really important. Um, this is because that digital asset that you've been developing or the piece of code you've been developing, uh, for it to leverage its value, you need to think about things like, okay, can we integrate this with other platforms that are, have to be available or integrate it with our existing business models or product offerings? And so from a technical perspective, understanding the nature of that code, the quality of the repositories and, and the level of nature of possible integration is also really important. You know, relevant to that same conversation is the risks posed by the use of open source code. And if you talk to a developer, these guys every day will use open source licenses and open source code because it's just what is done. But at the same time, if, if that open source code isn't used correctly, it introduces certain risks into your code repository, you know, triggering copyleft or you know disclosure requirements for the source code, which again are fund, you know go directly to the potential value. And and Tom touched on this as well. You know, Asia is unique in that you've got a number of different jurisdictions with very different potentially regulation around data. And, and other relevant fields relevant to the transaction. And so understanding particularly how data and IP play out in a region by region basis, how it impacts the business models and the, the plans to scale are also really important from a regulatory perspective. And Saren picks up on regulatory aspects and that would be the other key aspect from a more macro M&A transaction perspective I would highlight, as well as the FDI, is the general regulatory framework of the product that you're investing into. We've seen that the regulation is often having to catch up with the development of the underlying products in these areas. Singapore has been generally fairly receptive to these new technologies and is certainly we're seeing a bit of a shift as a result of the the crackdown that china is placing on some of these emerging blockchain technologies singapore is, is generally fairly receptive and has been to date so there's been a huge amount of investment into singapore as a hub for this new kind of wave of digital assets however we can see the regulatory framework here is continuing to develop. Even just 10 days ago in January 2022, the Singapore Monetary Authority put out some some new guidance on the ability for crypto companies to market to the public. That may well quite significantly have an impact on the way that these businesses are allowed to you know, target customers and, and their growth profile. So having an understanding of the regulatory framework and the likely movement of the regulatory framework is going to be key when assessing these targets from an investment perspective. Yeah, Tom, I think I agree. You know, digital assets is a really interesting case study on the impact of regulation. Another emerging area is AI, and the EU is very forward with AI with regulation generally. But it started exploring, you know, the restrictions or constraints that should be placed on on the application of AI. This is a completely untouched area uh, when you look at Asia. No one's even thinking of, of trying to regulate AI. And for that reason, it's it's fundamental to, you know, almost all technology companies have some level of AI exposure and some bank on it incredibly for, for its, uh, what, what it offers as part of its product offering. And so that's another area to keep, uh, you know, people need to be conscious of the future progression. Europe's a very good indicator of where the world's heading in some respects from a regulatory perspective. And so keeping these in mind from a strategic perspective and the potential future risk is also really important to, to, to correctly you know, characterize and understand the nature of the investments being taken. So Saren, Tom, thank you very much for all of your thoughts and insights. If I ask you to answer one question, 
if you were putting your money in one place in Asia, in one area, what would it be? You know, we can't give investment advice, Victor. Uh, I would. Uh, you know. <laughs> I'll jump in there. I'll, I'll go first. It's uh, digital assets in Singapore. I think in, in the region, the, the direction China is taking with its digital asset regulation. If you'd asked me 12 months ago or 20, you know, 18 months ago, where it'd be split between Hong Kong and Singapore, again with a digital asset play. But now with the recent regulatory developments, I think Singapore's, you know, even even with the recent developments, Singapore on balance is, is, a, is the more likely candidate. In my opinion, I think Indonesia is a, is a fascinating place for growth. There is so much potential that remains there. You know, there's been a huge amount of progress in the last two, three years. And we've seen, you know, that first wave of unicorns start to come through to fruition and, and look for exit opportunities. Indonesia minted more unicorns last year than they did in all the years previously. And that is only set to continue. So I think there's huge opportunities in the financial and e-commerce spaces in particular in Indonesia. So any opportunities to, to get into that space, I think would be would be worth a look. Well, I'm going to cheat and say it is connected cars in China because it involves every almost everything that each of you spoke about. Okay, well, I'd like to thank both of you for uh, giving us your thoughts today. And needless to say, I believe we all agree that 2022, in terms of technology, M&A, and transactions and development, is going to be an ongoing banner year because this is definitely not going to go away for Asia. And I believe Asia... Uh, represents a fascinating counterpoint to what's happening to the rest of the world. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening in.